anything, but you can uh, get more information about that when time, the time comes. Often Jesus' parables describe really kind of everyday scenes of life in the first century. So it, sowing seed in a field or casting a net out to catch some fish or uh, looking for a coin that was lost or waiting up for a master to come back at the end of a night's party, anything like that. And all of Jesus' parables are memorable to a certain degree. We, we remember lots of them, there. that's the idea, is that it's supposed to be an, a story that sticks in our head. But there is one particular parable, I think, that is, is memorable because it bothers us. But maybe there are more than, maybe there's more than one, but this particular one sticks, may stick in your head because it bothers you. And that parable is the parable of the dishonest manager, or it may be called the shrewd manager in, in your Bible. He ends up being a bad guy who kind of accidentally gets it right. And we're going to be looking at that today. Let's read in our scripture in Luke chapter 16. So you can open your Bible or open your Bible app to Luke 16. And it says this, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So it wasn't that he was dumb, he was wasteful. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So, hey, what's going on? The manager said to himself, what should I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For, all the, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is, it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lord, we ask you to understand this scripture today and to apply it to our lives. We, we, want, we want to remember your teaching and to have your words shape us. So we ask you, God, to, to teach our hearts today. May we, may we, during this sermon time, talk with you to hear your spirit speaking to us in areas of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what drew us to this parable today were two things in particular. One, uh, I like Jesus, but I didn't always like this parable. 
And I, I wanted to know why. I, I felt like maybe if you and I don't really understand it well, if we spend a little bit of time to understand it in a deeper way, we can be able to figure out what Jesus is getting at. Secondly, uh, we, and maybe more to the point, we are in a series where we are looking at questions that Jesus asked, hence the question mark behind me. And we are trying to look at some of the places where Jesus asks really intriguing questions. And in this passage, Jesus asks, if you have not been faithful in the use of worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true wealth? So we have selected key questions during this series to look at what Jesus is, uh, is doing. So this whole series is these questions where we see that Jesus is this master question asker. A question, he asks questions that help us to understand God's character, that help us to understand the intent of our own hearts sometimes, and oftentimes to push us to move toward God, to take a step of faith toward our Heavenly Father. Well, this passage bothered a lot of people, has bothered a lot of people for a long time. And it's not just that it's a story about a bad person. There are things like, other stories like that. But it's the fact that Jesus seems to that he's congratulating this guy who acted unscrupulously. Why? Well, we're going to get to that. In this passage, I, there are three kind of main sections that I see. There's the, there's the parable part. Jesus asks his question, and then there's a very clear statement at the end. And because the parable is a little bit hard to understand, uh, we're going to apply a, a, the, the way that we tend to approach Scripture, is, the right way to approach Scripture is to go from things that are more clear toward things that are less clear. So the clear statement at the very end is very understandable. We understand what Jesus is getting at. So we're going to use that to help us to interpret the parable that is a little bit less clear. That's a, that's a way that you are supposed to understand Scripture. You use clearer stuff to, to interpret less clear stuff. So what we're going to do is just for clarity's sake, we're going to actually look at this passage upside down. We're going to go from the end to the beginning. We're going to start with the statement that Jesus makes, this clear statement, and we're going to go to the question that he asks, and then we're going to address the parable. And I think it's going to help us to understand what's going on. So his concluding statement is this thing, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. So Jesus here is, maybe it's not something that we want to hear, but he is making himself completely clear. This whole section of teaching is all about who is going to be the master. No one can serve two leaders. No one can serve two causes like that. And before you stop me and say, hey, listen, I've had two jobs for a long time. I know that you can actually work this out and have two different bosses and you've been able to juggle it. I understand. But maybe, maybe that wasn't your primary thing. Maybe your primary thing was actually your family. The reason you're working two jobs was to be able to care for your family. And the family ultimately is the thing that wins out. That's the thing you're serving. So when, what we're asking is when push comes to shove, who is it that wins? And that's why probably the most important word in that whole sentence is the word and. You can't serve God and money. One is going to take precedence over the other. It's just a fact of life. It's not, like a, it's not just a, a biblical principle. It's actually just a fact of life. That's just kind of how things work out. And so if you are a skeptical person, when you hear us say that you can't serve God and money, maybe you're wondering for the big ask 
in here uh, where there's going to be some petition to give to the church, maybe a, a big uh, church money ask at the end of this. That's not what we're doing right now. Uh, but I'll go even further. I, I'll say that when we hear things about money in church, and maybe even in this, in this particular passage, you, you have maybe heard in your life something like this, or you've thought this thought. If I give a portion of my money to God, then it purifies the rest. There's nothing in this passage that backs up that claim or even that way of thinking. That's, that's not the direction that God is taking this. I, that being said, I think giving is good for our souls. I think it's good for my soul. I need to be somebody who gives. Uh, I'm not restricting this, though, to just church giving in general. I, I think that we need to be generous people in general. We need, it's a much bigger issue than even what happens here in church. Uh, so we can be people who give to charity, we give to the poor, we give uh, for our friends and neighbors. Uh, so all of that needs to be for a broad number of things. Uh, th but it's possible for us to be people who do give, but still to love money. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. In fact, just after this paragraph, if you read the couple of verses afterwards, Jesus interacts with the Pharisees who were people who really wanted to take God's law really seriously. But Jesus says that they were people who loved money. Is it clear that they loved God? Well, they, they wanted to love God. They were doing kind of everything in their life to try to serve God. And yet it's said of them that they were people who loved money. So they tried to serve God, and yet their heart was divided. So whatever we serve first and foremost, whatever is the primary thing for us, we're going to end up rallying all of our resources in support of that thing, whether it's a person or an idea or a way of life or whatever. For example, if our, if our primary identity flows from our work, then that is going to affect other aspects of our life. If our, if our primary identity and worth comes from our work, it's going to affect a lot of areas of our life. So our, in that scenario, in that world, then our family's going to have to come second place to our work, right? Uh, our marriage would end up having to come second place to that, our work. And, and even fellowship with other believers would have to take second place to our work because work is central in that world. The thing that happens, though, is that if we lose our job, and if our self-identity self and worth are wrapped up in our job, everything's going to come crashing down around us. It's going to be really difficult because that was the everything. Or just take another example. Let's say if our primary identity and worth comes from being a parent, I think it's an important thing, but if it comes from that, then other aspects of our world are going to bend to that. Our kids' desires might trump over everything else. We... Our marriage might even come second. In a child-centered life, our identity as parents is probably the main thing. And so we may find that in that life, we, we don't end up having any more single friends, or maybe we have fewer friends who don't have kids. And when our kids are grown, we might find like we feel like we're a little bit lost because our whole identity has been around our kids. Maybe there's little left even of a real relationship in our marriage because everything was based on the kids. But if we choose to make God our primary identity place, to have our primary identity and worth come from God, everything else is going to be second place and have the effect of aiming toward God. That's the idea, at least. And it means that God is central in our lives. And, and here's the amazing thing about if we do it that way. 
if we do make God our primary means, then it allows all the other things to fall in the right place in our lives. It actually can be really beneficial to our marriage because our marriage is no longer the primary thing in our life. It, it takes the burden off of, say, our marriage because our marriage was never intended to bear all the weight of our identity and worth. God is the only one who can do that. And it, and it takes the weight off of being a parent. We can be a parent and, uh, because we, as a, as a parent, you, you don't have to put all of your eggs in that basket. We are going to be a better parent. You can be a better student because as a student, you don't have to put all of your worth in what you, you do in class or how you're able to succeed in sports or whatever that might be. Because those things were never meant to carry that much weight, all the weight of our identity and our worth. You are more likely, even in work, I'll say, you know, in work, you are more likely to have greater satisfaction in your work if it's not your primary thing. Now, your boss isn't going to want to hear that work is not the primary thing in your life, right? It's not going to make you earn more money. You're probably, you maybe even have more trouble getting promotions because you're not making that the central thing. But you will have more satisfaction in work because you're able to use your gifts as you as you like, you're able to, to see it for what it is. It's a place for you to use your skills and to provide for your family, all those kinds of things, but it's not bearing the weight of all of your worth and your self-identity. It was never meant to carry that. God is the only one who can carry those kind of burdens. God is the only one who can carry the weight of your worth and your identity. And so we need to make God the central thing around which we build our lives. Now, I want to be really careful. You noticed I did not say church right there. And that's, that's an important clarification. I love churches. Uh, to paraphrase the commercial from the Hair Club for Men from the 90s, I'm not only a pastor, I'm also a client, right? I, 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 li- I am a part of a church. I'm a part of this church. I, I'm glad to be a part of it. But, uh, our devotion to our church is actually not the same thing as our devotion to God. So hear me out. The right expression of Christian faith, the right way for us to live our Christian faith, is to be connected with other believers. That we, we need, and we, we can't live our faith life alone. We have to be with other people. But we get into trouble when we, when we equate God being central with church being central. Those are not necessarily the same thing. Because I'll tell you, churches can disappoint you. Pastors can let you down. If you get close enough and if you're around long enough, both of those things will happen. But God does not let you down. So God needs to be the central thing. And that's really helpful. So we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and money. And Jesus clarifies that's the central push of this whole passage. All right, so let's, let's continue to move backwards in, in Jesus' t- speaking here and go to his question. His question is this. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So how is a, a Christian person, a follower of Jesus, how are we supposed to relate to our money? Our, our money, what he's saying is our money is actually kind of a test run for more important things. Uh, in my family, uh, we give our kids an allowance. Uh, if your kids are older than mine, uh, you probably did it a little bit differently than, than me. You gave your kids cash. The youth are in here right today. So kids, cash 
is this kind of paper sort of money that we used to give to people. And you would go to the store, and it was a funny thing. You would give the store person more money than what the thing cost, and they would have to do math to try to figure out how much money to give you back. It was a crazy system. So there's paper money that you would give. That's how they did things before. Anyway, the one thing, if you gave your kids cash or if you do it the way that we do now, it's more electronic, I think all the kids would agree probably they don't think that their parents give them enough allowance. That's probably across the board they don't think that we give them enough allowance. So, but, what was that? Yeah, is that true? True. True enough. True enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, the point of allowance is not supposed to be somehow that I save myself work. I'm not giving my kids money so that I, like, take some burden off of myself. Why do you give yourself, why do you give your kids allowance? Responsibility. So they're trying to learn how to use these things. They're trying to, the, the point of allowance is, that, is try to teach them some aspect where they can have responsibility for themselves. I, we are in the process of teaching our kids how to be adults. At some point, they're going to be adults. Will they be, will they be actual grown-up adults? That's a question. Uh, but they're going to be adults. Not all of you are very grown-up. I know that. I've met you. Okay, so... If you, if you felt like that hurt your feelings, you should ask the question of yourself, actually. That is not on me, okay? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. You know what? I don't let my kids decide how we spend our rent money because they're not responsible enough yet. It would be blown on, like, candy and whatever, like, at the fair or something. I don't know. Uh, but they get a small portion. I give them a little bit, right, so that they can learn how to be responsible. They're, they're learning to drive their money. Because at some point, they're going to drive all their own money. And they have to learn how to do it responsibility. So they get a little bit now so they can learn to be trustworthy. So they can practice with it. They practice with a small amount to learn to be trustworthy with something more. That's the idea. And Jesus says that our handling of our money and of worldly wealth in general, however much or little we may have, is like God's allowance to us. God is teaching us to be responsible, to be people who are trustworthy. And what are we going to prove by our actions? Will we use our money to take care of our loved ones, to do what's necessary? But is it also, are we going to show our joy in God, of our love for other people? Or will it show that we enjoy things more than God? And Jesus ends up saying this whole thing about true riches uh, versus worldly wealth, uh, what I can say about that is I know that the original design of creation was that we were supposed to be leading creation, that we were supposed to be stewards of all creation, that we were supposed to, God was above and that we were supposed to care for creation. We kind of messed a lot of that up. But the idea of the new creation is that we'll be put back in that place, that we will be people who, who care for the new creation and do it in faithful and trustworthy ways. So we're the way that we're spending our money now is supposed to aim toward that new creation, that we will be people who are, who are worthy of, of leading and guiding creation. So it's, it's not just about, like, you can't do any fun things with our money. That's not the idea. The idea is that we are, we are learning to use it well. 
All right, that's helpful context. So we're, we're setting the context. If that is the thrust of where Jesus is going, we can understand this kind of tricky par- parable in that context. We understand this is about how we use money, that we can't serve both God and money, and that it has to do with our trustworthiness. Are we going to do that? This guy, not trustworthy. So let's get to this parable. There's, a, there's this manager who's over this rich man's all of his holdings, seems like he has a lot of leeway with things. He interacts with all of his creditors at the end, realizes that he's going to lose his job. So he starts cutting deals with people so that afterwards people will help him out a little bit. So he's, he's trying to make some friends. Uh, he figures at the very least, I'm guessing, that he can get a good meal afterwards. Uh, nobody's necessarily thinking he's an amazing manager, but they sure feel like they're going to owe him a favor, right? So they're going to they're help him out. And Jesus calls this guy clever. Or maybe in your translation it has, or like in the NIV it says shrewd. Uh, shrewd is not a word we use very often these days. Someone who is shrewd is somebody who has good street smarts. There's somebody who sees what My microphone cut out. They see what's happening and they make practical decisions about what to do next. Somebody, you could say somebody who's shrewd knows which way the wind is blowing. And they figure out how they're going to act. And Jesus says, the manager of this story may not have been honest, but you've got to admit, he has some street smarts, right? And the lesson, the lesson is not, if, you, if we approach Scripture as a way to say, well, every story that Jesus tells, tells us how to live, well, it seems like he's telling us that it's okay to steal from your boss. That is not the idea that you should take away from that. That is not the point of Jesus' story. He makes it really clear. And, and, but it might still rub you the wrong way because this guy is, as one, one uh, commentator calls him, a commendable scoundrel. I like, I like that. He's a commendable scoundrel. That's him. Uh, and, but Jesus chooses this story to drive home his idea. Remember, this isn't, it isn't like just something that happened. Jesus specifically came up with this story to tell something that would give us a a, a different idea, a different way of seeing what God is looking for in us. At the end of this parable, we're presented with this guy who understood his situation, and he acted in a way that gave some results. He says, that's that's the way you're supposed to do it. So Jesus is is choosing to tell this story to make a point. And, and, you know, frankly, he's probably even telling the story in a way to get under your skin a little. If this story has ever bothered you, I, I got to tell you, it's, that's kind of wonderful. It's a, it's a testimony to Jesus' power as a storyteller that this story has been bothering people for 2,000 years. That's pretty awesome uh, that he, you can tell something that would get under people's skin. And the idea is if, if, there's, a, if there's a story that gets under your skin, you're going to think about it a little bit more. And I hope that we will all chew on this a bit more this week. So we can agree the ideal situation would have been for him to be a good manager. We all agree. That's what would have been good. However, he was not, but that would have ruined Jesus' story, and that's not the point of what he's getting at. So the dishonest manager, he understood the situation. He knew that he was going to be fired. He knew that time was short. So he said, what can I do in the present time to prepare for what's ahead? So what does he do? He decides to be generous. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to do what I can for other people. Christians sometimes are accused of being so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good. I don't know if you've heard that before. Uh, but he, Jesus, his approach seems to be the opposite. He says, if we are heavenly-minded, then our actions are actually going to turn into 
earthly good. We're going to be so focused on our new creation, where we're headed, that, that we're going to be actually set free to be people who are generous. And, and you might complain, you're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, the guy's generous, but he's generous with somebody else's money, right? Yes, and that's part of the point. Uh, one time I was at a conference. Uh, we were at a conference in St. Louis, and as part of this conference, there was a meal in the evening, but our meal in the afternoon was supposed to we were supposed to go out in downtown St. Louis, and uh, to pay for that, all the staff who were a part of this conference were given a little Visa card that had some cash on it that was meant to cover our, our meal costs. It was kind of a cool idea. They wanted to, to bless downtown St. Louis, a little bit more of a depressed area, but also it, just out of practicality, allowed people to go out during the afternoon. The thing about this was the money that was put on there, you could use all of that for the conference. But at the end of the conference, whatever money was left on there just went back to the conference budget. And I found that this situation freed me up to feel very generous. So one of the first, one of the first afternoons, I went out with my friends, and they were all my colleagues, and with a kind of regal air, said, guys, I'll buy lunch. Don't worry, it's on me. And they're like, get out of here. They, they all had the same card. So like it, it, it was not impressive to them. But, but I found that there was something really freeing about that. Uh, it, was, it, it, it changed the way that I saw that. And that moment kind of stuck with me for a long time. I realized I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to save it for something else. It wasn't, gonna, it wasn't set aside for some other project. It was specifically for this. And I felt like that made it easy to be generous. And that is what this manager is doing. He can't save it for himself. He says, yes, he's being generous with somebody else's money. But that's what scripture tells us that all of our money is. What we have isn't ours. Everything belongs to God. This is what 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says. For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast like you didn't? That everything, is, everything came from God or from your parents or from somebody. Everything comes to you from others, even if it was your skills that you have that, that God gave you as well. So even if we're talking about our own bank account, the truth is that you and I, we are simply managers of God's money. And, and, and even more, not just our money, of our talents, of our time, of our attention, we are managers of all of those things. And this manager, he realized that time was very short. I, I worked for a lot of years with college students, so and I got to tell you, it is hard when you are 18 or 20 to realize that our time on earth is really short. It doesn't feel like that when you are very young, I, I remember. But one day, you and I are going to realize that we are really the managers of our days. And, and our money... Time will be, if you will pardon the expression, at some point, we are going to be fired from our job of life. At some point, our, we are going to be fired from the job of life. We don't know when that's going to happen. Could be sooner, could be later. But we do know that it is going to happen. All of us are like this manager. We know that the firing is coming. You and I are temporary managers over our property, over our goods, over our time, our relationships, all of that stuff. It's, none of it is permanent because sooner or later, we're, whether we even understand it or not, our time is short. And Jesus' encouragement is that 
if we do understand our own mortality, then we should begin to prepare for our next reality. Jesus even says, use your money to make friends. Um, And some translations have unrighteous money that it says. Uh, If you have earned your money through unrighteous means, I will encourage you to go ahead and give it away. Uh, that you should definitely give it away if you got it through unrighteous means. But I think he's making a contrast between heavenly wealth and earthly wealth, this worldly wealth. Um, the, the translation I think would be really great for that is something like filthy lucre. Like we, it, use, your, use your money for good because money can easily capture our hearts, but we can use it for good. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he mentions using our money in a, in a similar way, a really s- way that sounds a lot like Jesus. Listen to this. This is from 1 Timothy 6. Warn the rich people of this world not to be proud or to trust in wealth that is easily lost. Tell them to have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. Listen, it's not about not enjoying life. Instruct them to do as many good deeds as they can and to help everyone. Remind the rich to be generous and to share what they have. This will lay a solid foundation for the future so they will know what true life is like. I I think that really summarizes a lot of what Jesus is getting at here, that we use our possessions to point at this solid foundation of a future, to say, this is what true life is like. Yeah, we... Uh, uh, he says, yeah, God gives us everything we need to have a, uh, have a rich, have a nice life, but we also want it to bless other people around us because we can't take our money with us when we die. Uh, my dad likes to joke. He says, I've, I have very infrequently seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. So our money isn't going to go with us in our new creation. Its value is very limited in eternal life but we can use it in a way that points to God's goodness, that points to God's love, that shows love for neighbor, that shows what's really essential and important in the world, and we can use it generously. So I, I think it's like other aspects of our life. Our, our, we are disciples, and so our, our time, our sexuality, our minds, our everything about us, our money included, needs to proclaim about what we believe about God. And I, th- I think part of what's true here is that it, it does, whether we like it or not. The way we use things does proclaim what we believe about God. So we're saying, we want to say, we want to say, I want to say with my money, I know that the world isn't everything. I'm saying that people need to be reconciled to God. But we're not buying our way into heaven or anything like that. It's really clear in Scripture uh, that the only way for us to come into the new kingdom is by being reconciled with God through Christ, that it's through Christ's own sacrifice. Ultimately, it's because God himself was generous enough to come and give himself for us, to, to, give, of, to give up a rich life to serve us and to, and to go so far as to die on a cross. We're going to celebrate that he's resurrected, but we know that he gave everything for us, and so we, we serve a generous God. So we're not buying our way into heaven. There, there, is, there are a couple words in there that might be confusing. It does say, so that you may be welcomed. Uh, I think that what this is, is this is the applause of heaven. That if we're spending our money or using our resources in a way that, that God is able to, that the, this cloud of witnesses says, wow, you know what? The way that you did life pointed toward our king. That's, 
you did well. That's what I want. You were welcomed in your heavenly abode by people who are, you get a high five. Nice job. That's what you did proclaimed about God. So our generosity then is this logical outworking of God's own generosity to us. Because God is generous. And we're learning to be generous too. And it's, it's hard. I, this is a hard one for me. I, I, I think I am uh, kind of naturally a little bit of a skin flint. Um, so it's hard for me to, to, th- to say, this is important. This says something about who God is. So I, I wonder, what's a simple gesture you can have this week that, w- that you could use God's money to make friends for God? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to use God's money to make friends for God. I wonder if you could think of something for yourself. It's hard for me to, to give you that idea. But we want to, we're learning to invest in eternal things in a way that testifies to true riches, that proves that we are people who are trustworthy with that. And that's not always the impression that people have of Christians, that we are very generous. I have heard from servers in restaurants that they don't love it when they see people coming. Some of you have been servers. You've had people come in uh, after church, and it's not necessarily a great tip. I, I will say, one of, my, one of my former coworkers, she said, her policy is if you pray, you pay, baby. So, because you're saying something about God, so you got to give a good tip if you pray or if you, in some way, if people can pick up that you're a group of Christians, you better give a good tip, all right? Uh, so, because, because we want people, we want to make friends for God. We want, we want God to have a great, imp- we want people to think that God is great. And, and we are willing to use whatever is at our disposal to want to make people see God as being as good as he really is. It's not very easy for us. You want to be somebody who is considered to be generous. I mean, at the end of your life, don't you want that people to say that about you? This was a generous person. So let's actually be people who are generous. Let's start acting like the people that we want to be considered. That's challenging for me, too. I think that we can be present in a lot of places. I, w- I want to encourage you. Why don't you be present with people? Be present. If you, maybe you know somebody who's grieving. You need to be generous with them with your time right now. Maybe you need to be generous with your attention, with your kids in some way, so we can be present with them. Because our master wants us to be generous with all the resources that he's given us. Because the time is short. Can can you imagine what the world would look like if Christians were known for their generosity? And, And I'm not just talking about just with our friends, not just like you're willing to just pay for your friends, but for other people outside the world, but to make friends for Jesus with our money. And it does make me think even about our church's budget. What does it mean for us to spend money, not just to make ourselves more comfortable, but to make friends for Jesus by whatever means possible? I, I think that we need to use our collective brain to work on those things, to try to think about that, even as we prepare our budget. So, I, I want to say I know that a lot of you are very generous. I want to say that. I probably should have said that at the beginning. But what God is asking for us to do, you, if you are really good at being generous, I want to ask you to help us to be strategic in our giving. Help us to be shrewd, be a little street smart with our money. Because if people in the world started to think that Christians were generous, if, if, they, if they saw us as being the people that they would, they would say, these are the people who, are, who will give me time these are people who will give me their attention. 
And they say that Jesus is Lord, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but I know that I can go to them in a time of crisis. And that's the kind of reputation that I want for us. That was the, the reputation that early Christians had. They cared for the people who were marginalized, for people who would get stepped on otherwise. I would love for our generous hearts to say something about the generous God that we love and serve. I hope we can do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, somewhat bothersome uh, parable about this shrewd manager. And I pray that, I pray that we'll be kind of shrewd, that we'll be people who are a bit more street smart. We'll think about using our resources generously in all aspects of our lives. I'd love for you in a moment of silence, can you ask God, you talk to God, not me talking for you. You talk to God. Say something like, God, help me to be generous. Lord, I want to be generous because it reflects your heart. Uh, just for me personally, Kurt, I, Lord, help me to do this because I want you to be famous in the world, and I, I want people to see you as being a generous God. So help us as a community to be people who do that, to, to see that the time is short, and to act accordingly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Before we, before we go, I'd, I'd like for you to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just put you, do it on the spot. I would like for you to turn to somebody next to you. What is, what is some, what's some small act of generosity that you feel like God may be calling you to? I'm going to give you just like one minute, one minute, okay? Turn to somebody next to you. What's one small act of generosity you feel like God might be asking of you?